Hey everyone, this is Last Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and we are going to talk about the Blake Griffin trade, which still sounds very strange to say out loud. The deal is done. Uh, Tobias Harris, Avery Bradley, Boban Marjanovic, a protected first round 2018 pick, and a second round pick in the future are going to Los Angeles, and Blake Griffin, Willie Reed, and Bryce Johnson are headed to Detroit. The, the optimistic version of this trade is that the Pistons have finally found their superstar in Blake Griffin. Um, Stan Van Gundy turned a half of season of Ersan Ilyasova, uh, season two and a half seasons of Brandon Jennings, and a season and a half of Marcus Morris into a player that Sports Illustrated rate ranked in the top 25 going into this season. The pessimistic version of this trade is that the Pistons have saddled themselves with an oft-injured, excessively expensive player who is rapidly losing the thing, his athleticism, that makes him special. Uh, I tend to come down a little bit more on the pessimistic side of this trade, not because Blake Griffin is not a special player, he absolutely is, but because he is and a player who is getting older. He's a player that is finding himself more orientated towards the perimeter. Um, in today's NBA, he's a guy that doesn't... He's he's a guy who moves the needle, but he moves the needle uh, not far enough in a direction that you would like for the price that you're going to pay to acquire him. Uh, speaking of that price... Um, Blake Griffin signed a huge five-year uh, extension this past offseason, so he was due uh, $29 million this season, um, $32 million next season, thirty-five or $34.5 million the season after that, uh, $36.8 million in 2020-2021, and he has a $39 million player option for 2021-2022 which, if you don't think he will exercise it, uh, you're a little nuts. The, the good thing is, is that Blake Griffin is, he's older than you think, but he's, he's currently 28. He turned 28 in, uh, he turned 28 this year, but he's 28. You're getting him in the middle of what is supposed to be um, his athletic prime. And so you are paying him $32 million in his age 28 season, which is next year, uh, $34.5 million in his age 29 season, $36.8 million in his age 30 season, and, you know, he's got the player option for his 31, age 31 season. What that means is that he won't be, he will be old at the, he will be uh, old for an NBA player in uh, 2020, 2020, or 2021, 2022, but uh, he won't be completely, he's not, he won't be 36, right? He won't be, <laughs> he won't be uh, like Patrick Ewing on, on the, uh, on the Seahawks, on the Sonics, the Seahawks, what am I talking about? Um, there are a lot of things to like about this trade. Um, Blake Griffin is definitely a guy who you can uh, give the ball to and say, like, go get us a bucket, and he can do that. That kind of player is something the Pistons have missed for a very long time. I don't 
I think the last player that you absolutely trusted for the Pistons to do that was Chauncey Billups, and he played at his heyday for the Pistons, it was like a decade ago. That's a long time to go without that type of player in uh, for an NBA team, and it's something that Pistons fans sorely missed, and you know, now, now we have that guy. <sighs> I think the thing that bothers me the most, though, is that Blake Griffin uh, has suffered a series of various maladies. Nothing ever so serious that um, his career would be over, right? But uh, he, he tore his ACL um, before you know before his first rookie year. Um, he punches a he punches something, breaks his hand. And he's out for 40 games, right? Even this year, uh, he comes down... Well, Austin Rivers comes down awkwardly on top of him, and he sprains his MCL. Um, you have the, the, the back-breaking injury in the playoff series against Portland uh, last year. I think that was the toe injury. Um, again, these aren't... The ACL is bad, but the ACL happened so long ago that um, you're not worried about the status of how he will recover from that. But at the same time, you are paying him an exorbitant amount of money for a guy who the last time he played 70 games in a season was his age 24 season in 2013. So, you know, four or five years ago. Um, you're, you're not going to... You, all evidence shows that you're not going to get a full 82 games out of Blake Griffin. And so when you don't have Blake Griffin, your team is definitely worse. You've given up um, a lot of, well, you haven't, you haven't given up a ton, but you've given up a good amount of talent and uh, future talent to acquire a guy who you cannot reasonably expect to play 70 games every season. Um, I think that Blake Griffin will be a difference maker for the Pistons, absolutely. But you can only make a difference when you're on the floor. And so the key to this trade will be how the Pistons look when he is not, when he's not playing, when he's not, when he's injured, when he's not playing, when he's not on the roster, when, <laughs> when he's not on the floor, not on, not, not on the roster. That's another part of this trade. Uh, there's a there's a very negligible chance, I will say, that you that Blake Griffin uh, gets traded during the duration of this contract. Um, 30, 34.5, 37, 38 million dollars is a lot of money. That's very hard for uh, for any NBA team to just absorb um, for a reasonably equitable talent. I guess. The the other thing I want to talk about with the other side of this trade is what the Pistons are giving up. Uh, they're giving up Avery Bradley, a expiring contract, but a guy that I think had lost a lot of favor in Detroit um, with his play. Not because of anything necessarily bad about what he was doing, but I think he was overextended. He was asked to do a lot for this team offensively, and asking him to do that was a mistake. And it put him in a position that you sh that the coaching staff should not have put him in, and you can't 
fault him for being placed in that position, right? Like, Reggie Jackson goes down. Uh, somebody has to absorb those shots. Uh, Avery Bradley's a really talented player. You would assume that it, it made sense to give him a greater volume of shots, and his efficiency just didn't warrant it. Um, I think a lot of Pistons fans are pleased to see Avery Bradley go um, after being pleased to see him come this summer. But uh, Avery Bradley still has value in this league, but I think his time as a Piston was was up, definitely. Uh, Tobias Harris, on the other hand, I think that's a guy that a lot of Pistons fans liked. Um, I think that's a guy that a lot of Pistons fans um, were looking forward to being on their team for the next couple of years. He was still young enough where you could see him getting better. He started this year... Uh, very hot from three, which was like the main thing that I thought he needed to change before uh, before the season started. Um, but I think Tobias is a, an incomplete player, a limited player. Um, there are still holes in Tobias's game. He's not nearly as effective in a team defense as he would like. Um, the three-point shooting had regressed a little bit after his hot start. You could attribute that to the uh, lack of offense without Reggie Jackson. Um, the entire team's offense has regressed without Reggie Jackson, so you can't really blame him for that. Um, Tobias never really, he never did a great job of creating easy points. He never got to the free throw line enough, which is, you know, not part of it is his fault, but uh, a lot of it, I think, was due to the uh, mechanical way that he, that he scored oftentimes. He, uh, he was a guy who had to work on his fluidity. A guy who, um, when you saw him seeking, you know, seeking contact, it came off as like very robotic and not very fluid, and so, and that was a large reason why I think he wasn't rewarded with more free throws, with more contact. Uh, the Pistons also gave up Boban Marjanovic, a guy I think a lot of Pistons fans were really excited about, but ended up being a very uh, superfluous piece in the modern NBA. Um, a true back-to-the-basket offensive just dynamo, just an amazing offensive player who uh, gave up almost, he gave up most of the points he scored on the defensive end just because of his physical limitations. Um, And, you know, he, I think Boban deserves better than to be kind of the third center uh, sideshow that I think a lot of fans um, perceive him to be. But uh, at the same time, I am not sure that with the way the game is going to a, a smaller, more perimeter-orientated uh, game, and you need to be able to cover more ground on defense, I'm not quite sure that uh, Boban will really ever have a place in today's NBA any, in any other role than, in, than, than in an extremely uh, limited one. Uh, I look forward to watching Tobias and Boban especially play uh, for for the Clippers. I'm very curious to see how uh, Tobias will look on that team. That's a team that desperately needed the kind of uh, wing scoring that he can provide. Um, Obviously he would look a little bit better uh, next to Blake Griffin, but that's a, that was, that's kind of impossible, but a, uh, a wing, a a trio of uh, Danilo Gallinari, Tobias Harris and uh, DeAndre Jordan is, is pretty interesting. It's pretty interesting. Um, who knows how long that core will be together. Um, but, uh, 
I'm interested to see how that dynamic uh, plays out. Um, the Pistons also included a 2018 first round pick. Um, let's scroll down to the protections. The protections are, it is protected one through four in 2018, uh, one through four in 2019, one through four in 2020, and in 2021, it is unprotected. I think it's fair to say that uh, that pick will uh, refer or will go over to the Clippers uh, in 2018, um, not only because uh, the Pistons will presumably not be one of the four worst teams with Blake Griffin on the team, um, but because uh, the Pistons will, uh, well, they're looking more like a, like if they, if everything works, they're looking like a playoff team. And so that pick will definitely won't um, convert. And, you know, the protections, uh, it covers a little bit. If the Pistons do miss the playoffs and somehow magically jump into the top four, um, I think that, you know, having that protection is a good thing and having a top four pick would be a good thing. But it's very difficult to envision a world in which the Pistons had a top four pick this year with or without the Blake Griffin trade. Um, This draft, I said on yesterday's podcast, actually, this draft appears very, uh, very shallow to me. There seems to be about 11 or 12 guys that really impress me and then a lot of question marks. I am not sure that the Pistons would have found uh, a player that would be of any use to them in the next couple of years at uh, at 16 or 15 or wherever they would have drafted this year. I think that if you wanted to be disingenuous about the the trade or not no, not even disingenuous disingenuous is the wrong word. If you want to be pessimistic about the trade, you would say that uh, Stan Van Gundy did this trade to save his job. I personally don't think Stan Van Gundy's job was in any, was in any peril. I think Stan Van Gundy, at the absolute least, deserved to finish out his term as president of basketball basketball operations next year. Um, and if everything didn't work out, you said sayonara and you called it a day. Called it a day. Um, this trade obviously accelerates the the timeline of where Stan has the Pistons. Um, a core of Reggie Jackson when healthy, Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond is absolutely um, if you get 60 games of Blake Griffin, that's absolutely a playoff team in the East. And so Stan has managed to raise expectations for the following season uh, conveniently. That's the season in which, uh, that's the final season of his uh, contract. Um, I don't I think of it very much as a, uh, I don't think Stan was trying to like cover his ass or anything. I don't think Stan was trying to, I don't think he was super worried about not being president of basketball operations for the Pistons. Um, Stan strikes me as the kind of guy who, if he felt like he wasn't doing enough or wasn't doing what it would take to be president of basketball operations at the end of his contract, he would just stop. He doesn't appear to me like a guy who absolutely uh, needs this job. The infamous quote, uh, we know when he was a was coach of the Magic, is like, it's 1202. If uh, if I get fired at 1205, like I'll go home and like sit on my couch. Like this isn't this isn't everything. And so, um, I think it's I think that re- reading it into reading that into it, reading uh, Stan's motives for. 
wanting to uh, accelerate the timeline as a negative. I think that is a little disingenuous. Um, the market in Detroit, um, it's not it's not a market that couldn't sustain a tank. Um, but this team has been bad for a very long time. They have very recently moved into a brand new arena downtown. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but that brand new arena is not full. (laughs) And so it is quite easy to see where um, an upper acquiring a player of Blake Griffin's stature is an idea that would be uh, maybe presented by the president of basketball operations, but uh, heavily endorsed by ownership as a way to attract casual fans, not only by getting a player with more star power, but by uh, who would put fans in seats, but by getting a guy who, when healthy, would improve the product on the floor to the point where I think Pistons fans would show up. And see, that's that's the real thing, right? Like the Pistons fans, Detroit fans are not, Detroit fans are very uh, intuitive. They're quite smart. uh, Despite the things that you guys say to me on DBB and on Twitter and on Facebook, um, on the whole, I think Detroit fans are very perspective, uh, perceptive and very smart. They are not inclined to cheer for a loser. Um, unless that loser is named the Detroit Lions. But uh, I think the, the, the average fan knew that the product on the floor was, uh, was not that great. Um, they knew that when they went into the arena, there, was a not, there wasn't a great chance they would see like, a win when, when they went to a game. And I think that adding a player of Blake Griffin's caliber definitely changes that, not only for the curiosity factor, but also for the uh, the winning factor. I think as long as as long as Blake Griffin can stay healthy, and I think we will we will be saying a fra- that phrase a lot more over excuse me over the next four years. Um, as long as Blake Griffin can stay healthy, I think the Pistons are absolutely a a playoff contender and absolutely a winner and absolutely absolutely the type of team that fans will show up to come see. Okay. Uh, The next thing I kind of want to talk about is uh, the financials, right? So the big thing is that you are financially locked into a core of Reggie Jackson, uh, Blake Griffin, and Andre Drummond. That is a little different than it was before. Uh, before you were locked into just just a core of Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond, it would be nigh impossible to move Reggie on his current deal. It still is. Um, Andre Drummond is was maybe the face of the franchise and the most talented player on the roster, and so it would be very difficult to move him as well. Um, now you've you've added Blake Griffin to that mix. Um, a guy making 32 million up to 39 million is uh, nigh impossible to move. He's stuck. You uh, you can't you can't move that contract. Um, the the Pistons are projected. I have my cap sheet in front of me. Um, they're not a luxury tax team this year. 
Um, the luxury tax I have I have a, the projected luxury tax to be 121 million. Um, I've got a total salary committed of 117 million for this year, including with the trade in place. Um, so they've still got some other room, and you know they're still under the hard cap at the very least. The issue comes in, you know, a couple seasons down the road, uh, depending on where the cap is. Um, oh yeah, no, yeah, 121 is the luxury tax threshold, not the salary cap. I apologize for the confusion. So they're over the cap. Uh, the cap is 100 million, give or take. So they're over the tax, over the cap, under the tax, which is the place where it's hard to acquire free agents because you use you acquire free agents with cap space, and the Pistons don't have any. So the way you acquire talent is with trades, which is what the Pistons have been doing. Uh, sorry to go off on the tangent. Um, so I have them under the tax next year. Um, slightly more salary on the books, $118 million, give or take. But uh, the th- salvation for the Pistons in these coming years, I think, will be the, uh, the relatively small contracts of Luke Kennard, who will be making um, less than $5 million up until 2020. Um, the smaller contract of Stanley Johnson, who um, who will be making $3.9 million is his uh, qualifying offer, or is his team option for next year, and I think that's already been exercised. So he'll be, he'll be making under $4 million next year, and then his qualifying offer for 2019-2020 is $5.3 million. Um, I assume... With what we've seen from Stanley Fulf so far, I don't think Stanley would be able to find a contract worth uh, eight figures on the open market. So I think it's safe to say that we'll see Stanley on the roster in the neighborhood somewhere of like eight, nine million um, in 2019, 2020, which is, you know, that's not bad for what he's been so far. Um, and so, yeah, you're in, you're roughly in the same place salary cap wise that you were before. Um, without the uh, looming, without the uh, the uh, specter of Avery Bradley's extension like looming over your head, um, and without the uh, you know off in the distance, but it was coming the uh, coming extension for Tobias Harris, who um, was a guy who signed an extension in Orlando that declined in value, and was a guy who was going to be you know who had improved in his time here was going to make quite a bit of money um the if you wanted to perceive it one way you could ask whether or not you would rather pay blake griffin you know 35 million or tobias harris you know 21 million it's like well blake blake griffin's clearly a better player but like what does that surplus 13 or so million like get you if you're already over the cap it doesn't really get you that much because it gets you trade space but that's not enough and so uh, the Pistons are they're fairly locked into this roster. They can still make trades. Um, the biggest trade pieces, the biggest uh, salary things I see are that um, they will have the they have Langston Galloway's seven million dollar give or take uh, deal for the next two years, and they've got um, John Luer's ten million dollars a year give or take for the next two years. Um, if John Luer ever gets healthy enough to display any value, that you could trade that contract. I think um, Langston Galloway is now maybe he's the, uh, the starting shooting guard for this team when everyone's fully healthy, which is an in- which is an interesting thought. But uh, I think I, 
he is slightly overpaid, but I, I think if you absolutely had to, you could trade that contract, uh, no doubt. Um, the other thing is that uh, with the trading of the 2018 draft pick, uh, they don't have to worry about that player's uh, salary for the, the next couple of years. Um, that, that wouldn't be a huge salary. Like I said, Luke Kennard, who was last year's draft pick, is making um, under $5 million for the next three years. But uh, when you are as close to this to the luxury tax as the Pistons are, I think uh, a roster spot like that can, in fact, make a difference. Um, so, you know, the Pistons will be looking to fill out the, their roster with minimum guys. Um, you would assume that um, Anthony Tolliver probably isn't coming back next year, um, or they have to figure out what to do with Henry Ellenson, whether or not he's ready to play or not. Um, you also have to figure that uh, they need to do they need to swing a trade maybe for another backup center or re-sign or uh, they have Eric Moreland has a bunch of unguaranteed money but I don't know if he's the long-term answer at backup center um, maybe you could re-sign Willie Reed after taking a, a closer look at him but uh, I'm not sure that's a guy you really want to be paying a lot of money to either to be your backup center but uh, who knows? Big men are at a uh, distinct disadvantage in in this year's league, and so you can uh, you could probably find uh, a half decent big man on the on the minimum if you're willing to look. So yeah, that that's a that's a long way of saying that uh, the Pistons are in roughly the same place they were financially before the trade in the uh, in the next two years. Um, but the talent level is a little higher, um, but the injury concern, I think, is also a little higher, and that, that's what you're getting into. But yeah, the salary cap is roughly in the same place. If you were ever hoping to you know, clear a bunch of space to sign a marquee free agent, um, I don't think that was ever going to happen under Stan Van Gundy. I don't think that was ever going to happen um, in Detroit. Uh, the last really big free agent acquisitions the Pistons have made was like Josh Smith, Ben Gordon, and Charlie Villanueva. And so the Pistons have traditionally uh, acquired their best assets through the draft and through trades. Uh, Isaiah Thomas and Rasheed Wallace and Chauncey Billups and all those guys, those they were the draft picks or traded for. Um, Detroit doesn't sign marquee free agents. Like that sounds... It sounds really harsh, but it's it's true. Detroit does not sign marquee free agents. Um, I guess it's been we. I talked by myself for over twenty five minutes, which is kind of frightening and uh, a little impressive. So I guess I didn't want to make this longer than thirty minutes. So I'll close uh, by saying that I'm very excited to see how this team looks on the floor when everybody's healthy. Um, the Yes, everybody might not be healthy all of the time. I'll gladly grant that. Um, I think that's a big reason why uh, you are allowed, and I am, in, I am in fact pessimistic about the the long term outlook of this trade. But uh, it, it's not it's not Lob City. It's like it's like knockoff Lob City. But like even knockoff Lob City is good enough for a playoff spot in the East, and like that's that's honestly all I wanted. That's all I've wanted for the last couple of years is for the Pistons to be successful and in the playoffs. Um, not because I thought that uh, there was something like noble in. 
being a playoff team that like wasn't actually a championship contender, which this team is not. Don't get me wrong, this team is not a championship contender. But uh, but because the Pistons fans have been so good throughout this uh, entire uh, decade-long uh, quagmire, um, the Pistons fans are so passionate and so dedicated. I think I thought that they deserved to see their efforts rewarded and not you know not uh, coerced into another uh, rebuilding era without uh without a light really in the in the distance and so uh yeah i'm i don't as a as an as an analyst as a guy who tells you what he thinks about the detroit pistons um i think this this trade is a has the potential to be utterly uh disastrous but uh as a pistons fan as a guy who has watched you know 80 or 75 plus Pistons games for the last two years as a guy who uh, who stays up to watch all the games, who loves George and Greg, as a guy who uh, has been to LCA once or twice and, and loved it there, and a guy who, who doesn't live in Michigan but has tried to visit uh, the Palace or LCA every time I've been there, uh, as just like as a as a as a hardcore fan, I'm I'm super excited to see uh what blake griffin looks like in a pistons uniform okay that was the podcast uh you can follow me on twitter at last chance at at l-a-z-c-h-a-n-c-e um you will be able to find this on detroit bad boys which uh which is your place for pistons news and analysis this season it's the I work with a lot of really smart people and uh, I'm pleased to call them co-workers and we love the Pistons just as much as you guys do. And so uh, I'm glad that we'll have a lot of analysis and a lot of things to talk about uh, for you guys. Um, this has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast and we will see you next week.